0: morning and welcome to let's talk wyoming i'm mark hamilton your host today we'll be taking a look at our wyoming weather and it is snowing outside we'll have a potpourri today a little of this and a little of that we'll continue on with education in territorial wyoming and finally we'll talk about the hole in the wall and the activities that took place there thanks for joining us today and we hope you enjoy the show Taking a look at Wyoming weather here today on the 13th day of February, I want to wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day, tomorrow the 14th. In our Wyoming weather, it is definitely, we're going to have a white Valentine's Day. We've had some fairly nice weather, at temperatures in the high 30s, just maybe into the low 40s periodically. And... Um, we're looking good. Now we've got another big storm coming in talking about snow tonight on Monday night. Tomorrow looks like we could have anywhere from 4 to 8 inches of snow, high winds, cold front coming in behind that. And that looks like we got weather stacked up one after another in the following week. So February right now is looking like it's going to be a long February. Luckily, there the days are limited in February and maybe March is right around the corner which means that maybe spring will be popping its head out there pretty quick. But again, right now, getting ready to plow snow tomorrow. Just another day in a Wyoming winter. Today in Potpourri, a little bit of this and a little bit of that here in Wyoming. Valentine's Day is tomorrow. I hope everybody had taken care of their Valentine requirement for their loved one. I was going to do flowers, but the flowers didn't work out right, uh, the way I usually order those. But uh, I've got some alternatives this time, some other options for some plants and such that won't uh, have to worry about them dying out. You actually plant, and you'll get a plant growing. Got those online, so I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. Hopefully we'll get those in the next few days, but with this weather, you never know. Also, the highlight of the week Last week was on Wednesday. The On the Hook guys were here with their blue fish truck. They come out of Colorado. They make it up this way every few months, and it's always a treat. They were in Worland, had a chance to take their and enjoy the fish and chips. I had them now probably three times every time. It's just outstanding. Always a big crowd of people that show up to try the fish and chips or enjoy them again, so they have quite a following. I just wish that they came around a little bit more often, but I guess when they're not here that often, when they do show up, everybody wants to get it while they can. So that was kind of the highlight of the week. The fish and chips were definitely off the top of the list. Also, this last weekend we had our Super Bowl And I hope everybody got a chance maybe to watch if you're a sports fan. Kind of my analysis, I guess. A couple things in the game on the Philadelphia Eagles team. excuse me. Marcus Epps, he's a graduate and played for the Wyoming Cowboys. So hats off to him. He ended up in second place, I guess. We had Logan Wilson from the Bengals last year. They ended up not winning the Super Bowl, so they got the proverbial second place trophy which is the first loser, as always told. You know, one highlight i taken away from the Super Bowl, I was kind of wondering how he would do, but Chris Stapleton doing the national anthem beforehand was outstanding. I thought he did a very good job on it, just a little different take. Maybe some traditionalists won't like it as well, but I thought it was well done. So, And also, the flyover was very... Great, I love that. It was, of course, a all-female crew, jets across the stadium there at Glendale. I that was well done. Anytime you have any military involvement, I did like the picture from the uh, carrier with the, all the people on board out there during the National Anthem. Anytime you include the military with the National Anthem, it brings a just another degree of patriotism. For everyone in attendance to the, the Super Bowl and those that watching it at home. The game is kind of up and down. The game wasn't bad. I heard tales about what the cost was to get to the game. Of course, it was down in the Glendale, which is in the Phoenix area. And uh, prices were just ridiculous to get to that game. So I, I figured there's probably better ways to spend your money than contributing to that. They... Um, Halftime show. I don't know if any of you watched that. My opinion. I just really didn't enjoy the halftime show. I guess that's because I'm a fuddy dud, but just a bunch of people jumping around in sleeping bags, more or less. Brianna doing a couple of her antics there. The one I won't go into a lot of detail, but if you watch the, the halftime show, you'll know what I'm talking about. Thought that was pretty class classless. I did get a chance to catch a couple commercials. I really didn't have a favorite commercial for the Super Bowl. There were some ones I enjoyed, but again, the prices of those commercials were, somebody told me $3 million plus, so a lot of money is being spent. There's a lot of money out there, and those commercials seem to draw a lot of attention. But again, Super Bowl, Kansas City Chiefs are the Super Bowl champion Congratulations, and I'm sure all those people in the Kansas City area and all those Chiefs fans are pretty ecstatic. The Philadelphia Eagle fans weren't very happy. I did see some ruckuses going on in Philadelphia after the game. But again, just another one of these situations where you just kind of make him wonder. The amount of money that is spent on those events is just astronomical, especially at a time when a lot of us are, just aren't doing very well. I guess do you think it's money well spent? And I guess finally, if we didn't talk about balloons, I guess we would be a miss of what's going on in the country. I don't know if people, of course, have saw with the weather balloon that went across the United States a week or two ago, and then over the weekend, we had strange objects up in the skies that were shot down. They chased them around. All types of things happen. Nobody knows what they are. Everybody came out with, are they UFOs, what is taking place? Uh, they had one up at Haver, Montana. And in that area, of course, uh, Malstrom Air Force Base is in Great Falls. And in that area around Great Falls to the north and, and different areas, there are silos in place for the nuclear warheads. And so everybody was using that. that. The aliens, I heard, were coming to check those out. A lot of conjecture of what they were a lot of unanswered questions, and it uh, is rather an unusual event, and it makes you kind of wonder, are we alone out there? But hey, we live in Wyoming, and we're always kind of alone out here. Again, our social distancing is never a problem. Continuing on today with territorial life, we always have to go back to T.A. Larson, The History of Wyoming. We're going to talk about education here in the Territory of Wyoming. The first school in Wyoming was the one begun by the chaplain at Fort Laramie, the Reverend William Vox, in 1850s. The usual date given is 1852, but Mrs. Lodisa Watson, in her MA thesis report, having found a letter written by an Army major at Fort Laramie in 1858 complaining that Vox had not begun instruction until March of 1856 and was a most unenthusiastic schoolmaster and was negligent chaplain who never visited the sick or concerned himself with the morals of the soldiers. The first legislature in December of 1869 supplied the basic law for public education, making the otter Ex Officio Superintendent of Public Instruction. He was given $500 dollars for his educational duties, which included general supervision of all the district schools, recommending uniform textbooks, making reports, and distributing school funds among the counties. Elective county superintendents were to divide the settled parts into school districts, apportioning the County school taxes and other school funds among the several school districts examine and certifying teachers and visit each school at least twice each term and generally supervise the schools. The length of a school term varied considerably. In the 1873 legislature, they established the minimum when it required that every child between the age of 6 and 18 attend three months each year. This seemed not to have been enforced. Most communities did not have high schools, although high school work was sometimes offered in school, not designated as high schools. One of the better educated pioneers who came to Wyoming with considerable training in both law and medicine, and who served as the territorial's first superintendent of public instruction, was J.H. Hayford. He was the Laramie editor. He wrote in his centennial on January 10, 1879, We would have our youth taught something in our schools by which they could make a living. He suggested manual training, watchmaking, telegraphy, and typesetting. Afford knew the school curriculum well because he had many children. He believed in early acquaintance with work, placing a 10-year-old son in his back shop. As of 1893, the average number of days school was in session was 89.21. There were only five high schools in 1895, Buffalo, Cheyenne, Evanston, Rollins, and Sundance. In 1896, only one pupil in 44 was enrolled in a high school program. The University of Wyoming, whose history has been written by Professor W.O. Clough, opened in 1887 at Laramie with a $50,000 building. A faculty of seven and 42 students, most of them at the college preparatory level. Indeed, for many years, the availability of college preparatory work at the university made it unnecessary for Laramie to establish a separate high school. Poorly supported outside Laramie, it would be many years before the institution could live up to its pretensions as a university. Dean Justice F. Souls recalls, during the first Twenty-five years, we never knew whether we should be there or not the next year. Secretary of the First Board of Trustees was the versatile editor, Hayford, who transferred to the university level his passions for Unitarian education. On May 1st of 1896, in his newspaper report of the first board meeting, he set the tone. While not ignoring the benefits of classical education, the board recognized the fact that that the world has more use for engineers, mining, civil, gas, and electrical engineers, for architects, chemists, and mechanics, than it has for men who could merely crackle Greek. No doubt from the beginning, the trustees were, like most men on the frontier, inclined to emphasize the practical. Yet it would be a long time before the little frontier university could turn out many engineers, architects, and chemists. Listening to what their intentions were, it didn't sound that bad. It sounded like a good idea. And boy, would they be surprised at what the University of Wyoming has become since those early territorial days. Today we want to take a look at the Hole in the Wall, a outlaw hideout. The Hole in the Wall, a remote pass in the Bighorn Mountains of Johnson County, Wyoming, is a spectacularly scenic part of the Old West. The red sandstone escarpment dominates the area, rich in the legend of outlaw activity in the late 1800s. It was a favorite hiding place for the infamous Butch Casty and the Wild Bunch Gang, who often hid out in the 1883 log cabin preserved at the Old Town Museum in Cody, Wyoming. The Wild Bunch included rustlers and trained. Bank robbers such as William Ellsworth Elsie Lay, Harry Sundance Kid Longbaugh, Ben Taltex and Kilpatrick, and Harvey Kid Curry Logan, William News Carver, Laura Bullion, and George Flatnose Curry. But these criminals weren't the only ones that made the hole in the wall of their hideout. Other outlaws such as Al Smith, Bob Taylor, Tom O'Day, Laughing Sam Carey, Black Jack Ketchum, the Roberts brothers, and others also utilized the area to, as a hiding place and as a base of operations to coordinate their outlaw activities. Even Jesse James was said to have visited the Hole-in-the-Wall hideout. Collectively, these various groups and individual outlaws were known as the Hole-in-the-Wall Gang. It was not one large organized gang, but was made up of several separate gangs all operating out of the Hole-in-the-Wall Pass using it as their base of operation. The gang formed a coalition, each planning and carrying out its robberies with very little interaction with the other groups. At times, members of one gang would ride along with the other gangs, but usually each gang operated separately, meeting up only when they were each at the hideout at the same time. Geographically, the hideout had all the advantages needed for gangs attempting to evade the authorities. The areas were remote and secluded, easily defended because of its narrow passes, and impossible for lawmen to approach without alerting the outlaws. It contained an infrastructure, with each gang supplying its own food and livestock, as well as its horses. A corral, livery stable, numerous cabins were constructed, one or two for each gang. Anyone operating out of there adhered to specific rules of the camp, including a particular way of handling disputes with other gang members and never stealing from other gang supplies. There was no leader, with each gang adhering to its chain of command. The hideout was also used for shelter for the outlaws to lay up during the harsh Wyoming winters. When the weather was better, the outlaws often used the remote paths to move horses and cattle from the area. On one occasion a cattle rancher fought back in what is known as the -the hole-in-the-wall fight. It was well known that cattle rustling had been taking place in the area with the cattle and outlaws hiding within the -the hole-in-the-wall country. In 1897, Bob Devine of the C.Y. Cattle Company planned a roundup of this area to gather stock belonging to various ranch outfits. He was warned to stay out of of the area with an anonymous note that stated, Don't stick that damn old grave." head of yours in this country again if you don't want it shot off. However, Devine and several other ranchers were not deterred by the threat. On Thursday, July 22nd, Devine, along with other CY ranch cowboys, men from the Okalala Land and Cattle Company and the Circle L Ranch, Jim Drummond, a Montana livestock inspector, and Joe LaFors, a U.S. deputy marshal, all set out to round up cattle. They entered the -the hole-in-the-wall country through the Bar-C Gap, and headed south, passing by the Hole-in-the-Wall Ranch. About three miles in, the group came upon Bob and Al Smith and Bob Taylor, who were members of the Hole-in-the-Wall gang. There was animosity between Bob Devine and Bob Smith, and tension was in the air. Devine asked if they had seen any C.Y. cattle, and Smith replied, Not a damn one. Believing Devine's hand to be gripping his gun, Smith pulled his six-shooter, and the fight was on. Shots were fired, horses were pitching, and the dust flew. When the smoke cleared, Bob Smith lay on the ground with a bullet hole in his back. Devine's horse had been killed, and he and his son Lee had been wounded. Al Smith escaped after his gun had been shot from his hand. Bob Smith was taken to the hole in the wall cabin and died the next morning. Bob Taylor was captured and taken to Natrona County Jail and later released. Shortly afterwards, Devine led a contingent of heavily armed men and two deputies to the hole and drove several hundred cattle out. They were watched closely by several armed men, but were never bothered. By the late 1860s to around 1910, the pass was used frequently by numerous outlaw gangs. Eventually, it faded into history, with gangs using it less frequently. Today, the hole-in-the-wall in the the Middle Fork region contains approximately 80,000 acres of public land, including lands managed by the state of Wyoming and the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. The remote area is located about 35 miles southwest of Casey, Wyoming, and 60 miles north of Casper along the Redwall Backcountry Scenic Byway. The Middle Fork Powder River is located about 20 miles southwest of Casey, Wyoming. The Middle Fork Powder River management area contains such notable sites as Outlaw Cave, rumored to have been used as a hideout by various outlaws. It contains diverse topography and vegetation ranging in elevation from 5,000 to over 8,000 feet with numerous steep in-size canyons, a deep sandstone encarpment known as the Red Wall, and open grassland parks interspersed with, with ponderosa pine, douglas fir, and limber pine forests. The wildlife found here are equally diverse. There are elk, mule deer, antelope, mountain lions, eagles, among other small mammals and rodents. The middle fork of the Powder River lies at the bottom of a fairly steep canyon. But if you can make your way to the, the bottom, the fishing is outstanding. This is a blue ribbon trout stream containing brown and rainbow trout. Other fishable streams in the area include Blue Creek, Buffalo Creek, and Eagle Creek. We want to thank Kathy Weiser Alexander from Legends of America for sharing this story. It was a quite a time in our state of Wyoming, and everyone... No matter where you live, has heard of the Hole in the Wall game and Butch Cassidy, and the people that were involved. And in. there's a lot of the happenings of the area that go back to this Hole in the Wall and the Hole in the Wall game. There's just so many tales that have been told of the Old West that involve this, definitely the legend of the West here in Wyoming. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the code of the West, we ride for the brand and we ride for Wyoming.